to be here with you. If we haven't a chance to meet, yeah, my name is Michael, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church at Rocky Peaks. Whether you're joining us here, you're on the patio, you're joining us online somewhere in the States or actually around the world, I just welcome today. It's just great to be with you. Hey, we're going to go into a, a time uh, just a sharing about this theme we've been talking about, uh, this whole service of the generous gifts. I'm ready to go. If you guys ready to jump in, you ready to go? Okay, let's pray. God, we're just so excited to be here on this very special day uh, to gather as a church uh, in your presence. And Lord, I'm just, I'm just kind of reflecting on, on what we've been learning in our weekend series that, as Paul says, when we gather in the name of the Lord Jesus, the power of the Lord is there. And Lord, so we just thank you on this day, we come together to celebrate your birth. Uh, we thank you that you're here, that you see, you're aware. And I just pray, Lord, you would come by the power of your spirit Give us eyes to see in a new and fresh way this amazing gift, this generous gift that you provide. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, our story begins today in a far and distant land a long, long time ago. And uh, it takes place in a seaside city named Patera in the land of Lycia. And if we were there that day, we'd see the young man walking up and down the beach, and you could tell just from his countenance, from his gait, from the way he holds his head, that he was very sad. He's dejected. Something is on his mind. And the reason is, is that he has recently discovered that there's a family in this city that has suddenly become destitute. It's a mom and a dad and uh, three daughters of marriageable age. And they were once a, a wealthy family, but through a series of events, no fault of their own, that they've come into hard times, so where now they barely, at times, have enough to eat. And what plagues his father the most is that is the fate of his three daughters that he knows that he's no longer able to arrange a suitable marriage for them because he no longer can afford their dowry. And he knows that, that their future looks grim, that they will be left to a life of poverty or perhaps even worse, of prostitution. And this weighs so heavily on him, and this young man has heard this story and his heart has gone out to this family and he knows that he has the means to help because actually when he was very young, his parents both died in a savage plague that, that ravaged their community. And he inherited their wealth. And, and yet his challenge is, how does he help without them finding out? He wants to do this anonymously. But as he walks up and down the beach, some new ideas begin to come. And a plan begins to emerge, and you see a smile begin to break out in his face. And a few days later, he decides the time has come to put this plan into effect. And so he waits until a night when the moon is not out. And late at night, he bundles up for the cold of the city. He puts on an old cloak in a, with a hood that will look like a, a poor man, perhaps a a beggar, and he begins to walk through the city, but what no one knows is underneath the cloak, he has a bag of gold coins. 
He's done his reconnaissance. He knows where this family lives, and he's not sure exactly what he's going to do when he gets there. But he's hoping that something will emerge. A plan will, will come into view. And so as he goes through the city and he makes his way to their home, he finally arrives. He looks all around to make sure he hasn't been followed and no one's up and the coast is clear. And as he looks out, he sees this in their house that there's one window at the back of the house that's open. And so he carefully creeps up. He sneaks up as quietly as he can. And when he gets there, he reaches inside of his cloak, takes out the bag of gold coins, reaches his hand through the window, down as low as he can, and lets him go. And after he does, he waits for a minute just to see if anyone has woken up, and no one has, and so he's, he's happy with his project, and so he, he sneaks away in the silence of the night. Next morning, when, when the family woke up, they were surprised to find this bag of gold. They were overjoyed. It was like a gift from heaven. The father fell on his knees and he began to give God praise. And of course, he was able now to go out and arrange a marriage for his oldest of his three daughters. And so when the news hit the city of this windfall prophet, that uh, this gold was the talk of the town, everyone was trying to guess who it was or where this gold came from, but of course, the young man, when he heard about it, he was overjoyed that his plan had worked. And, but he was well aware that the man had two daughters left. So he waited till the talk of the town settled down. And a week or so later, he crept out again on a dark night where the moon was not out. Once again, clothed the same way, the heavy cloak, the hood on, and underneath the second bag of gold coins. And when he arrived at the house, once again, he, as stealthily as possible, made his way up, and sure enough, the window was open again. He breathed a sigh of relief. And after he got there, made sure no one was watching, he reached into his cloak, took out the second bag of gold coins, reached through the window, and dropped them as quietly as he could. Once again, he waited and when he heard that there was no movement in the house, the coast was clear, he began to make his way back. And of course, this time, when the family woke up and found it, they just could not believe their, their good cheer. They were so excited. The father, of course, of course, most of all. And so now he was able to go out and he was able to arrange a marriage for his second daughter. And when the city heard what had happened, they were going crazy. Who is this mysterious stranger? The, the family themselves wondered, is this, is this a, someone they know? Is it someone they've never met? Is it an angel from God? And the father, on his part, decided that he had to know. And so he made a decision that he was going to stay up every night until a late night vigil to see if he could discover who this stranger was that was bringing the gold, if he should perhaps bring the gold a third time. Well, the young man knew that the danger was rising. With the talk of the town and the amount of gold involved, he knew that making his way through the city streets again would be put himself perhaps in danger, the golden danger. And so this time, he waited much longer. And the old man was giving up hope. Maybe it was too good to be true. Maybe a third, a third bag of gold would never come. 
But just at the point where he was about to give up, the young man decided he waited long enough. And so on this third night, once again, dressed as an old beggar, putting on the cloak and the hood, he took the third bag of gold. And he was more cautious this time, took a different route, made sure no one was watching. And finally, he made it to the house again. And once again, that window was open. He crept up silently, and after looking all around to make sure that no one was there, he reached in the third time. He took out the third bag of gold. He reached in and dropped it as silently as he could. But this time, the old man was waiting in the next room over. And when he heard the thump of the metal against the floor, the, the sack, he got up quickly from his rocking chair and he threw on his coat and he ran out to the front door around the side of the building to try to find out who this stranger was. By the time he got there, the young man had moved away and he was just a, like a kind of a silent force in the shadows moving away. But the old man was determined to find out who he was. And so though he was much older, he ran with all his might. And within a while, he caught up with the young man. And he caught him by the shoulders. And he turned him around and he pulled off his hood. And he was shocked to find out who it was. Well, Merry Christmas, Rocky Peak. <laughs> Merry Christmas. So good to be with you. And you know, I, I don't know, this week I sent out a video inviting you to come. I don't know if you saw that. But one of the things I said is that, one of the things I love about Christmas Eve, it's just one of those special services of the year. It's unlike any other service. And I think there's just something like gathering as a church family on this day before we go out and begin all the Christmas celebrations, just to gather together. And I think one of the things that makes it so special is it's not just us as a church family, but often we have guests, first timers, we've got family and friends that have come. It's just a very special time. And so whatever your story, wherever you're, you're coming from, welcome. Uh, but my guess is that as I tell that story, my guess is that a few of you may recognize it, but probably not most. And uh, I want to share with you how the seed thoughts for this whole service, the service that we're calling the generous gift, how, how it came about. Some of you will remember that back in October, I went on a motorcycle trip. And uh, you know that things always happen when I'm on a motorcycle trip. And if you remember that, uh, I went up the coast, first of all, and spent a couple nights camping out at Refugio State Beach, which is just north of uh, Santa Barbara. And then from there, I, I went uh, up to Yosemite and uh, spent three nights there. And Yosemite is one of my favorite places in the world. And uh, I, I grew up as a boy, often in summers, going to Yosemite, camping out there, and so just so many warm memories. And it always feels something of a homecoming. And especially when I come through on Route 41, that final tunnel, and you come out of that long tunnel, and you come out in this magnificent view of the entire valley. They've got the kind of the place you can park their viewpoint there. On the left, you see the, the sheer, huge granite cliffs of El Capitan. On the right and the further back in the distance, you see the momentous mount, uh, uh, mountain of Half Dome. It's just so captivating. 
And so anyway, I went to Yosemite to spend the three, three days. And the very first day that I was there, I decided to go on a hike to uh, the top of Yosemite Falls. And uh, it was on that hike that the first seed thoughts for this service began to come. And it was really kind of odd because it was October, a long way from Christmas. It certainly wasn't on my mind. But that's the way it often happens, that the Lord begins to kind of drop and download things when I least expect it. And so what had, what had happened was uh, that the very first seed thoughts that came to me as I was hiking there was I found myself thinking about St. Nicholas. And um, you, you may have picked this up, but this, this is a story from his life. And, uh, and so I, I realized as I was hiking along, I, I knew very little about St. Nicholas. And so uh, when, I, when I came back, I, I started to do some research. I asked Mally, my assistant, to do some research. And, and um, I began to learn some of the story of his life. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of legends. There's a lot of... Um, kind of stories that have built up around him. And it's hard for historians to really discern sometimes, like, what are the, what, what's fact and what's fiction? What's, what's, uh, what's, been, what, what's reality and what's legend? But, uh, but what the best we can tell is that, uh, that Nicholas was born in a seaside village. Uh, it's actually a seaside city that was called Patera. It's in modern-day Turkey. And it was part of a larger Roman province called Lycia. And uh, so it was part of the Roman Empire and that he was born in the late third uh, century, kind of lived his life in the late third and early fourth as part of the Roman Empire. And so uh, the way the story goes is that when he was young, his parents uh, both perished in a savage plague that swept the area. And as a result of that, he was taken in by an uncle who lived at a monastery there in the city. And so he began the process of becoming trained to be a priest. But he had also inherited, when his parents died, a fairly large amount of money. And as he began to grow up as a young man, he felt like as a priest, as a follower of Jesus, the best thing for him would be to give that money away. And so that, that leads us then uh, to the story that we started the day with. Um, it kind of turns out he did become a priest. In fact, he went on to become a bishop of a, another nearby city in Turkey named Myra. And in fact, he was later imprisoned for his faith in Jesus. He, he was imprisoned under the, the major, um, okay, the Roman emperor Domitian, who unleashed one of the fiercest persecutions in church history against Christians. He was imprisoned for many years until Constantine came and became the emperor. And he was released. But this story that we started the day with, it, it comes from his life. And it's one of those stories that historians feel like, of all the stories, this is one of the ones that it, it really it may be actually true. There's evidence for it. And so the story goes that, uh, sure enough, as he was training to be a priest, uh, they had this money. He wanted to be able to give it away. He wasn't sure how. And he heard about this, this, this story of this destitute family that I told you about, this father who was heartbroken, loved his three daughters, and, and wanted to see them taken care of, unable to do that anymore, afraid that they would live a life of poverty or, or perhaps even prostitution. 
And of course, then Nicholas came up with this idea of taking these three bags of gold. And so on that, that last night, when he dropped the bag of gold and the, the old man chased him, when he finally caught up with him and, he, and the old man pulled back his hood, he was shocked to find it was Nicholas. He actually had seen him and knew that he was a, a young priest in the area. And so he fell to his knees and he kissed his hand and he thanked him for this gift and how he'd saved his family and saved his daughters. And Nicholas said, don't, don't thank me, thank God. And he said, but I do have one request of you. And uh, he said, the, re- the request is that you would please don't tell anyone about this story, that, uh, that what I've done. He said, you know, Jesus talked about this, not letting the right hand know what the left hand's doing when you're giving. And would you just please promise me? But you know, it's hard to keep a story like that quiet. And so sure enough, the story began to spread. And over the course of his life, other stories began to grow, some true, some legend. But over time, these stories began to morph and the legend of the man continued to grow. And it spread from Turkey and it went all different directions over into Europe, into the area we now call Germany, up into Scandinavia, over to England. Over time, it developed this this person that we know as St. Nicholas, St. Nick, Um, He's known as Kris Kringle, Father Christmas, or we call him here Santa Claus. And so as I was hiking there on Yosemite, this was the first seed thought. This this seed thought that I need to chase down the story of St. Nicholas. But as I was hiking, a second seed thought came. And it was actually a statement that the Apostle Paul made about the first Christmas, about the birth of Jesus. And uh, it comes in uh, the second letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, the same church that we've been studying in our weekend services. And, um, and so this is the passage that if you were here on time, you saw at the start of the service. <laughs> if you came late, you saw before I came up to speak. Um, but it's a powerful passage that that Paul uses to talk about the birth of Jesus, where he's, in the context, he's talking to the Corinthians and his followers of Jesus, how important it is we grow in this area of generosity, and specifically in that passage about financial generosity to the poor, just much like Nicholas, it gave. And so this is the passage that comes up on the screen. It's uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, and Paul writes, he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the Greek, the word grace and gift are very similar. They come from the same root. He said, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, right? He lived uh, with with the Father in heaven. Though he's rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He became one of us that you might, through his poverty, become rich. And I began reflecting on that statement, kind of Paul's take on the birth of Jesus, the coming of Jesus. You know, I think that, that often when we think of Christmas, we think of what the child that was born, but we don't think of what was given up. And uh, if you're here at the beginning, you heard Joel's spoken word. It talked about this, the price that Jesus paid to come and be one of us. Paul talks about this in his letter to the Philippians, 
one of my favorite passages in the New Testament where he says that he who was, uh, he who was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be held onto or grasped. And so he emptied himself. He gave up all those rights and privileges and he became one of us. Paul says he became a servant. And he says, and being found in human likeness, he lowered himself even further to the point of obedience to death and death, not just any death, but the excruciating death, the humiliating death of being nailed to a Roman cross for the crime of high treason against Rome in order to give us life. And so Paul says he who is rich, who lived in what I like to call the greatest gated community in the universe, he who is rich became poor, became born to a very poor couple. His first crib was a feeding trough, grew up as a, a poor man, and then gave his life so that we could become rich. And of course, this is where the story of St. Nicholas and the story of Jesus intersect. Because it wasn't random that St. Nicholas was known for his generosity. It was because he was a follower of Jesus. And of course, this is what we learned last weekend in church. When we think of Christmas, we often think of the babe in the manger, but what we learned is that this was a baby that was born to bring the gifts of salvation and who died to deliver those gifts. And so this is where these two stories come together. What we learned is when Jesus came to bring us the gifts of salvation, that the first gift we often think of is the most obvious, in some ways the most important because it sets the stage for all other gifts is a gift of this forgiveness of sins, his death for us, that we might be forgiven and kind of be restored to a relationship with God. But as we learned last week, it wasn't just the gift of, of forgiveness, that he came to give us the gift of his spirit. That God's vision for our life is so much bigger than we'd simply be forgiven, and kind of spend forever with him. Of course, that's the foundational piece, but his vision is that when we come to Christ, that we receive the gift of his spirit, that we'll be transformed to be like him. So we can live out this life of love that is a life of generosity. And he modeled with his own life. And this is how Paul, the apostle Paul, wraps up that whole teaching in 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9 with this statement. It's coming up on the screen. It says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And that's what we're here to celebrate today. It's why we celebrate Christmas, this, the celebration of this most generous gift, this gift that was given to us for the forgiveness of sins, for this, the gift of his spirit to transform us to become the people we were created to be, that we would be changed to be like him, this one that, that was rich, who gave up those riches, who became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. So Lord, we come today to celebrate this most generous gift. And Father, we thank you 
for this most indescribable gift of your son. We thank you, Jesus, for this gift of yourself that you've given us that we might be restored to relationship, that we can find out the truth about who we are, who we are created to be, that we might only be forgiven but transformed and live out a life with meaning and purpose in a world that finally makes sense. And so, Lord, we pray that as we continue this time of worship, that you be speaking to us by the power of your spirit about what that gift means for each of our lives and that we would be unwrapping that gift this Christmas in new ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.